Welcome to the Enable Me podcast series, where we bring together stroke survivors, health professionals and researchers providing you with practical advice. To enable you on your journey to reclaim your life after stroke. You can join the conversation at enableme.org.au. This series is presented by Australia's National Stroke Foundation and sponsored by Allegan. Stroke is hard to predict, but there are some known risk factors like high blood pressure. And this April, the Stroke Foundation, together with Priceline Pharmacy, is running Australia's biggest blood pressure check. And we found that on average, 25% of people who get checked find out they have high blood pressure and get a referral to do something about it and to reduce their risk of stroke. But as important as this is, it's even more crucial for those who've already survived a stroke. And while it's good to be aware of the risks, living with that anxiety can be a problem itself. The fear of another stroke can become crippling and it can hold you back from recovering your normal life. So what can you do to both reduce your risk and to cope with those fears? Joining us once again, we have occupational therapist Simone Russell, who frequently has to answer these questions on the Stroke Foundation Stroke Line, and who has some excellent advice on acknowledging and managing your emotions. Hello, Simone. Hello, Chris. Later on, we'll also be speaking to general practitioner Dr. Bill Williams, and now as well as giving us the medical perspective on reducing your risk, Bill knows firsthand the effect that stroke can have on a person and their loved ones. His book, called Bleed, tells the literally life and death story of what happened when his wife had a brain hemorrhage while the two of them were camping in Outback Australia. But first, we have stroke survivor Nikki Menel. She had a stroke at the age of 39, which turned her life upside down, but ultimately in a good way. She has since started her own business and shares her inspiring story as one of the Stroke Foundation's Stroke Safe Ambassadors. Thank you for joining us, Nikki. Thanks, Chris. Now, I guess the best place to start is with your stroke story. Could you tell us about it? Yeah, certainly. In 2011, um, I was really stressed. I had a job um, that I didn't really like and I wasn't really looking after myself well. And I woke up one morning and my hands weren't working properly um, and I thought I must have just been tired. And then I went down to talk to my husband and then this jumble of words just came out of my mouth. And systematically, my body just literally shut down. Um, I wasn't able to speak, I couldn't move and I couldn't stand anymore. And from there, I spent five days in hospital um, and I'd realised I'd had the two strokes, um, one at home and one in hospital. But the funny thing was they couldn't tell me what had happened and that in itself was really difficult moving forward because what do you change if you don't know what to mm. do? Right. So then how, how did you do that? I mean, how did that, that, those worries and that uncertainty affect you? Um, oh, the fear, I suppose, of having another stroke was really a big concern. Um, I used to have a lot of dreams about it and wake up feeling like I'd had another one. I was constantly concerned about leaving the house and if I had another one, would someone help me? And would it be more debilitating than the one that I'd just had? So I'd often be doing my own little Mexican wave and putting my hands up in the air to make sure my arms were okay and checking my face in the mirror. Oh, so testing the, the fast. Testing the fast, absolutely, because yeah, yeah. that's at least I knew then um, if something was wrong, I can at least, you know, try and call someone while I was still able to. So it's just seemed that constant underlying fear and the more I focused on it, the more it grew. So what happened? Did you, did you eventually overcome those fears or did you learn to cope with them? I did and what I realised was that it wasn't really helpfully emotionally to be focusing on it. And really all I'd done is replace one stress with another stress. So the stress of having a job that I didn't enjoy was now the stress of having another stroke. Right. Um, and I was really just spending time worrying about something that may never happen. And when I focused on the fear, I realised that it wasn't helpful. So what I'd do is just acknowledge it and then I'd change my state. So I'd either go for a walk or get lost doing a bit of art and painting or eat something healthy. So I did something that was going to focus on looking after my health and something that was going to be good for me going forward rather than focusing on something that was um, really a waste of my time. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I understand that you've really, um, you've really done, as you said, focused on your health as opposed to 
uh, a specific kind of concerns because as you said you didn't know what caused your stroke so can you tell us like what sort of changes you made then changes that helped your your anxiety but also um, did things like positive to reduce your chance of a, a second stroke yeah certainly so I spent time focusing on making sure I was eating properly yeah so I started to look for foods that were going to um, help with brain repair and causing new connections how to clean my blood and look after that so lots of greens and fresh fruit um, fresh vegetables um, I saw a lot of food and also exercise. I had a real love-hate relationship with exercise um, and I really started to enjoy that, you know, taking a walk around the park, I could actually use my body again mm-hmm. um, and really, really appreciate having that rather than exercise being something I had to do. Um, even things like just catching up with friends or watching a funny movie and things like that. So those sort of things I did that would really feed my well-being and look after myself emotionally rather than yep. focusing on something that may never happen and was just getting bigger and bigger. It was, wasn't yep. helpful to be focused and stressed about another stroke. So, I did things that were going to be good for me. Okay. So, it was, yeah. So, like I said, doing stuff that's good for you that uh, makes you feel better about yourself. That's two things like reduces the fear but then ultimately makes you healthier as well. Yeah, exactly. And I think whatever you focus on is going to get bigger. So, if I focused on getting well and looking after my well-being, that would became my main concern and that became a fun thing to do yeah. rather than focusing on something that was not going to be helpful for me and, or, not, or going to be very upsetting for me as well. There was no um, gain in that for me. And how do you feel you're going now? Um, I feel great now. I'm four and a half years on. I don't have any fear about having another stroke anymore because I've really looked at everything in my life and changed all the things to reduce my stroke risk, um, but also to enjoy life more and have more fun and you know we certainly laugh a lot more at home and focus on things that are silly and you know make make life good I suppose yeah um, rather than worrying about work and stress and all those things we sort of changed for my husband and I both our focus in life so for that point of view it's actually been a really good thing that we we look at life differently now because of that incident but it's had some silver linings as well okay so what advice then would you have for other stroke survivors <laughs> If it's about a secondary stroke or another stroke, um, my thought would be acknowledge what's happening but then change what you're doing. So, don't continue to focus on it. Shift your focus to something else. Find something that you like to do and focus on that, whether it be gardening or Mm -hmm. bird watching or whatever whatever floats your boat. I would really shift to that straight away. So, it's one thing to know it's happening. It's another thing to continue to indulge in it, I suppose. Um, My thought is find something that you like to do. Do something that's going to be good for your well-being in that moment. Well, that sounds uh, very good. Well, thank you for thank you again for talking to us, Nikki. And I hope you continue to do all the things that you love. Oh, thank you so much. Cheers. Setting goals is crucial to stroke recovery. Goals can be as simple as walking to the letterbox to check the mail or bigger goals like getting back to work. Enable Me has a unique tool where you and your carer or family can plan what you want to achieve, track how you are progressing and celebrate your successes. You can also connect with other people who set goals similar to yours and challenge or inspire each other. You can even set up a blog to write down how you are feeling and share your own story. And don't forget, our professionals from Stroke Client can help with personalized and confidential advice to help you grow stronger after stroke. Visit enableme.org.au. We're talking about the fear of having another stroke and what you can do to reduce your risk. And joining us now, we have Bill Williams, a general practitioner and author of the book Bleed Surviving Cerebral Catastrophe A Tale of the Mind, Love, and Modern Medicine. Thanks for joining us, Bill. Thanks for having me, Chris. Now, I've read your book. It is a real heart-racing tale. Perhaps not the best thing to keep my own blood pressure low, I suppose. But for, <laughs> those, for those who haven't read it, could you briefly describe what happened to you and your wife, Gisela? Briefly, 
Sorry, uh, Gisela, my Gisela, wife, sorry. and I were on our way uh, out to visit an Aboriginal community about 500 kilometres west of Alice Springs five years ago, April 2011, and uh, we went to uh, to sleep uh, one night in the uh, bed of the Fink River, and uh, she woke up the next morning with the sudden onset of a terrible, terrible headache, what we call in the business a thunderclap headache, and started vomiting. And uh, I recognised that uh, they were the sort of presenting features of a burst blood vessel in her brain and uh, I realised that she needed a neurosurgical operation and that the nearest neurosurgeon was about 1500 kilometres away. So uh, I quickly got her into the back of the vehicle uh, and raced back into Alice Springs and uh, into the emergency department there and they put her in a CT scanning machine which confirmed the diagnosis and the next thing we were on an emergency flight out of Alice down to Adelaide to that neurosurgical operating theatre that she needed to be in Uh, and yeah it was an amazing scenario we were I think it was about six o'clock in the morning when it all started and we were in the ED in Adelaide 12 hours later wow and it was under this is just obviously a very brief your very brief description there's a lot there going on in the in the book um, what you and your family went through um, especially also to get her through to recovery I think as well yeah well I mean even just the like I, I can sort of package it into two sentences or into a whole book but basically even just that initial recognition thing you know yeah. what was going on why she had such a terrible headache and she bumped her head in the middle of the night or she, the first time she'd ever had a migraine or something like that yeah. I, uh, I've seen enough of it over the years and I just had a horrible suspicion that something really bad was happening and that we needed more help than we were going to get in the Fink Riverbed Okay now so this was a this was a hemorrhage now can you just explain briefly the difference between a hemorrhage and a clot or an ischemic stroke? Sure. So um, the, the brain tissue is supplied by blood vessels, like all the tissue in the body. Uh, and we have this uh, fantastic array of uh, blood vessels in our brain. And sometimes they develop a little defect on them, almost like a bubble on one of the uh, blood vessels. And when the pressure gets too high inside that bubble, it can burst. And that's what's called an aneurysm, a burst aneurysm. And that causes a hemorrhagic stroke, so a stroke that's caused by bleeding. And the other type of stroke, which is actually more common uh, is called an ischemic stroke uh, and that means that there's a blockage in the blood supply so it usually means that uh, a little piece of blood clot has flicked off somewhere else in the circulation and got stuck inside the brain blood vessel or sometimes it's a, it's a little clot that's forming slowly in, you know, in situ in the actual brain blood vessel but whichever way it happens it means that the blood can't get up those little tiny arteries and into the brain tissue which means that there's no oxygen and little micronutrients that your brain tissue needs. So essentially a a patch of brain tissue becomes starved of oxygen and micronutrients and if it's not corrected fairly quickly, uh, that brain tissue can stop working and kind of die and it depends which part of your brain is being affected, what kind of stroke you have and how serious the consequences can be. Now are there similar risk factors for both these types of stroke or are they completely different? I suppose the commonest, uh, the two that sort of come to mind immediately would be high blood pressure, Mm -hmm. uh, and that can certainly be involved in both the blockage type of stroke, ischemic stroke, and the burst blood vessel type of stroke, hemorrhagic stroke. And the other one, I think, would be smoking. Uh, And certainly, you know, anything that uh, injures blood vessels can be a predisposing factor for for both types of stroke. And then all the, the sort of other kind of lifestyle things like high cholesterol or being overweight and that sort of thing could also, you know, be contributing factors as well. 
Okay. Now, do you have many patients who then will, say, come into you after having had a stroke and are concerned about what they do next? Yes. Well, stroke's pretty common. I think it's about uh, one in six people in their lifetime in Australia mm-hmm. will have a stroke. So I've got quite a few patients who have had strokes and, uh, you know, it's a pretty broad range of people. It's uh, Some of them are quite young and some of them are very old and some of them have major disabilities and some of them have recovered completely. Uh, so it's a very broad range of, you know, presentations of people uh, and of course they're all concerned about the future and uh, partly about you know what can they do to prevent having trouble like that in, in the future. Okay so what sort of things do you tell them? Well stop smoking. Yeah. <laughs> Usually they've already worked that one out by the time they come to me there aren't very many people who keep smoking. Okay that's good like to hear. That. Yeah. Yeah no that, it's, a, it's a corrective it's a little bit like heart attacks there aren't that many people who keep smoking. Some people do, but it's a shock to the system. Most people will stop smoking. And uh, in terms of, you know, correctable things, blood pressure. So we can, you know, help people with their blood pressure. Sometimes that's sort of addressing so-called lifestyle factors like activity and diet and weight and things like that. Or mm-hmm. it might also be taking medication to keep your blood pressure in, in the sort of healthy range. A lot of the people I see, especially kind of in the older age group who've had a stroke, have a, an irregular type of heart rhythm called atrial fibrillation. And that means that the heart's been beating in a funny way and little bits of clot have formed inside the heart and then flicked off into the brain circulation. So those people are usually going to be taking some kind of medication to keep their blood a little bit thin to prevent blood from clotting again. Okay. So, you know, maintaining uh, you know their, their medication in, in that way and making sure that they're safe and healthy on those medications, that's a pretty common thing. And just things like, um, you know, making sure that their cholesterol is well controlled, making sure that their blood sugar is, um, you know, in the normal range or as close to normal as you can get it if they've got diabetes. Uh, I think really uh, it's very, very important for people to, you know, try and adopt those you know, basic healthy lifestyle things that we, we talk about with everybody in terms of diet and, and exercise. I think the exercise is very important and, and perhaps also for people who've had a, you know, it's a pretty big shock to the system to, to have a stroke and potentially mm-hmm. to end up with disability. So um, trying to sort of have a, a positive attitude and, and working on, you know, enjoying life and, and uh, trying to do things that you actually enjoy doing and finding things that you can do now that maybe you couldn't do before or um, le- learning to live with, you know, whatever disability that you may have acquired and also, you know, maintain the positive attitude it's quite extraordinary the, the progress I see people make because I work in general practice so mm-hmm. you know my, some of my patients have been seeing me for decades and um, you know I see people from five years down the track they've had a stroke and they're still gaining you know they're still getting stuff back that they thought they would never get back in terms of memory or you know being able to drive a car or something like that so you know you might be feeling pretty glum about things you know even 18 months after a stroke and then you know you, you don't feel too glum uh, yeah. you, that if you keep at it you may well find that there's all sorts of stuff you're going to be doing, you know, in years to come that you thought you'd never be able to do again. And I guess that's why it's important not to let things like the um, the worries about a, another stroke or to get control of those and not let them hold you back because it is doing those those normal activities that's going to help you recover better. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's it's true that people who've had one stroke have a higher risk of having another stroke, uh, but that's partly about, you know, managing those, those risk factors I was talking about, you know, talking about uh, blood pressure, talking about not smoking, yeah. um, you know, getting out and being physically active, those sorts of things, uh, they definitely will uh, I- 
enhance your life as well as reduce the chances that you're going to have some you know, other event like that. So I guess the message is then um, to speak to your doctor and do what they tell you to do in terms of taking medication and, and uh, improving your lifestyle, like you say. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm of the kind of partnership view about it. <laughs> it's not so much they should do what yep. I tell them. We, we sort of work through this together, you know. The, 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 the people come and see me. Uh, they already know a lot about it often, you know, because they've had other people talking to them about it. And it, it's kind of helping people find their way, you know, on a, what is in some ways a new pathway for them and being as optimistic as possible about it and, and using the knowledge we have about, you know, not smoking, about having good blood pressure, about watching yep. your blood sugar, but also getting out and about, getting, you know, getting active, physically active and eating healthy tucker, you know, those sorts of things. Very important. Fantastic. Well, that is um, a great positive note, I think, to, to finish on. Now, um, now your book, uh, it is called Bleed. I understand it can be found at your website, which is billwilliamsbleed.com. That's right. If people just go to the website, they can they can buy it online. They can buy it as an e-book or, or order a hard copy or all good bookstores should have copies and they should be able to order it in without any great difficulty. Fantastic. Well, thank you for speaking to us again. Uh, that was Dr. Bill Williams uh, with some advice about yeah preventing your second stroke. Thank you. When you or someone you love has a stroke, you are instantly bombarded with a whole lot of medical terms, and it's pretty hard to take them all in. It's like learning a whole new language. To help you, we've created Strokeosaurus, a glossary of stroke terms. It's an A to Z guide of the language used around stroke. From atrial fibrillation to Webster Pack, it explains key terms in simple language. You can access it on your computer, smartphone, or tablet at enableme.org. All right, we've heard some amazing stories about the effect of stroke and what you can do to prevent having another stroke. But how do you make sure that these fears of this other stroke don't hold you back? To help us, we have Simone Russell with us. She's an occupational therapist who you can speak to on the Stroke Foundation Stroke Line. Simone, thanks again for joining us. My pleasure, Chris. Now, what can people do to cope with their fears of another stroke? Yeah, there are a number of things that people can do to cope with the fear and anxiety that can come after having a stroke. The first thing I usually suggest is to speak to a professional, and that might be a GP, mm-hmm. it might be a psychologist, it may be a member of the rehab team, it could also be um, Stroke Line, so giving us a call to talk about some of the anxieties and fears that may be coming up. It's also useful, though, to talk to family members and also stroke support groups can be a great resource as well to actually talk to other stroke survivors about how they have gone on their journey, particularly with this issue of that fear of having another stroke. Okay. And I guess there's somewhere like something like um, Enable Me website Absolutely. with enableme.org.au. Absolutely. Yeah. That people can connect with other stroke survivors. Absolutely. And have a conversation and see what, what they found helpful as well. So, some of the other things. So, working with a, a health professional, particularly psychologists, they can look at um, more of the sort of, I guess, cognitive behavioral techniques around managing anxiety and fears. So, D catastrophizing the situation. And I think Bill um, also mentioned, you know, knowing what the cause of the stroke was, knowing what the risk factors were and making sure that they've been addressed to minimise the risk, knowing that you're doing all that you can to minimise your risk of having a second stroke. Other things like um, trying mindfulness can be really effective as Mm -hmm. well. So, when we have a fear or anxiety and worries, usually that's based in something in the future, which means we're not in the present moment when we're thinking about the future or too far ahead. So, really looking at that concept of mindfulness, really being aware of the thoughts um, and not analysing or judging the thoughts so much so learning to, to come and sit with those thoughts without really attaching to them as such so okay. you can also learn mindfulness um, with a, a qualified clinical psychologist and and there's other professionals as well that can talk you through that process of mindfulness. Okay is that similar to the when you said decatastrophizing that sort of same sort of thing of yeah not 
not amplifying the emotions too much. Is that what you mean by that? Yeah, so decatastrophizing is really around that sort of what's the worst case scenario. So really minimising, um, I guess, the, the the drama around, oh, well, what if I could have another stroke? So um, there are, noticing that there are many risks to life and mm-hmm. if we know that our risk factors are being minimised, we're taking our medication, we're seeing the right health professionals and doctors for our stroke and our risk factors are getting um, regularly reviewed, etc., then we know that we're doing the best we can. So usually people tend to have a history of perhaps catastrophizing situations or events. So if there is a history of anxiety prior to the stroke, this may be something that they may have been seeking help for already, but certainly a a psychologist could look at addressing these sorts of um, things. Okay. The other thing I guess I also also talk about is being really prepared. So if you have had a stroke, making sure that you do educate those around you. So family members, friends, if you've got work colleagues, you know, providing some education and information about knowing the risks or signs of stroke so that if you were to have another stroke that they are really on the ball and able to pick up that um, the signs of stroke. So it might be a fast um, poster that that outlines the signs of stroke. So uh, fast, can you just Yeah, so the F being the face. So yeah. is there any sort of asymmetry or drooping of the face on one side? The A stands for arms. So can you lift both of the arms equally um, or is there a weakness or a numbness on one side of the body s is speech so is the speech clear are you having any difficulties getting your words out are you having any difficulties understanding in conversation and then the t is time so obviously we want you to call triple zero straight away if you are having any signs of stroke or if you suspect someone with you is having any signs of stroke Um, and that's what the t stands for so the fast posters go through those signs of stroke and it can be a really great reminder for everyone around you that that's what to look out for for further strokes. Yeah, those are the just the um, I guess the most common ones though. And that's exactly right. As you've heard, like with the uh, the hemorrhages, mm. um, there can be different things like a thunderclap headache and that kind of stuff. That's exactly right. So some of the, the the less common, I guess, signs of stroke can be severe headache, often with vomiting. You may get dizziness as well or nausea. Um, changes in vision, so sudden visual changes. You may also get poor balance or unexplained falls and difficulty swallowing. They can be some of the other less common signs of stroke but for the most part 80 to 90 percent of people will have at least one of those fast signs okay the other thing also, you know, if, if someone is elderly and they're afraid of their risk of stroke, they may be living alone, things like personal alarms, having yep. a family member check in with them on a regular, you know, basis. Depends, it's situation by situation and, and when people call stroke line, we can really come up with a plan tailored to them specifically to look at, number one, why did they have the stroke? You know, are they aware of all of the risk factors? Are they on top of all of the risk factors? Are they getting regular reviews? Are they seeing um, seeking support, whether that's through a psychologist or through a counsellor? Um, you know, are they have they tried other other practices like mindfulness and to minimise the fear of having another stroke again? And really, yeah, are they prepared? Are they ed- well educated? And I think Bill touched on it was fantastic. But you know, really filling your life with things that you enjoy, so having you know gratitude for the things that are going well in your life as well, because our brains are set to that sort of negative bias of you know fear. Um, what what happens if it happens again? And it is a traumatic event. So I talk a lot with um, callers on Stroke Line about practicing acceptance and being kind to yourself in this journey and making sure you do get support to, um, I guess, talk through the the traumatic event. It is a traumatic event. So, as we've heard, you know, some of the stories today, it certainly does take time to recover and heal from those events and ongoing journey of stroke as well. If there are physical or cognitive um, difficulties, it can be a long process. 
So it's perfectly normal to be, yeah, for it to be Abs- traumatized ab- by it, but yeah. Absolutely. I think it's really, really common. And I think that's one of the first things I do say. First of all, it's really normal that you're having this experience and you're having these fears. And then we go and dig a little bit deeper. Okay. Fantastic. Well, if you want to um, speak to Simone and find out more or to, her, to one of the other health professionals on Stroke Line, you can uh, give her a call. That is uh, 1-800-STROKE is the number. That's 1-800-787-653. But the, the 1-800-STROKE is perhaps easier to remember if you've got a phone with numbers with letters on it. Uh, look, thank you again to Simone and to her other guests, Dr. Bill Williams and Nikki Menel. And just a reminder that this April, you are able to go into a Priceline pharmacy or selected Westfield shopping centres for Australia's biggest blood pressure check. It only takes five to ten minutes and you could learn something that saves your life. It runs until 4th of May 2016. If you go to the Stroke Foundation website, which is strokefoundation.com.au, you can find a list of locations so you can know where, where you can go. Now, next month, we have another big topic that's experienced by many stroke survivors, which is fatigue. We'll talk about knowing your limits and the emerging evidence-based techniques to manage it. At Allergan, we know every stroke is different and so is every recovery. After stroke, many people have muscle weakness and loss of movement, but you might also be experiencing tight muscles or stiffness in your arms, fingers or legs. It's called spasticity. You might have muscle spasms or uncontrollable jerky movements in your arms or legs, changes in your posture or unusual limb positions, and it can cause pain. It can be treated though. Physiotherapy or occupational therapy can help you adapt and improve your movement. There are other possibilities too, such as injections with botulinum toxin type A, electrical stimulation of the muscles, electromyograph or EMG biofeedback and muscle relaxing medication. What is important is to start your rehabilitation as soon as possible after a stroke and to discuss your goals and progress with your rehabilitation team at every stage. Allegan is proud to bring you this Enable Me podcast. That's all for today's Enable Me podcast. You can find out more on this topic and continue the conversation or listen to other podcasts in the series at our website, enableme.org.au. It's free to sign up and you can talk with thousands of other stroke survivors, carers and supporters. We also have health professionals from StrokeLine who can answer your questions and give evidence-based advice. The advice given here is general in nature and you should discuss your own personal needs and circumstances with your health professional. If you would like to suggest a topic or provide feedback, contact us via the website enableme.org.au. The music in this podcast is Signs by stroke survivor Antonio Ianella and his band, The Lion Tamers. It was recorded at Antonio Studio, which you can find out more about at www.studio499. That's F-O-U-R-99.org.au. This Enable Me podcast series is produced by the National Stroke Foundation in Australia with the support of Allegan.